Hey, welcome uh, to you. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you. Good to be together with you. Uh, welcome, everybody here in Waukesha. Welcome in Pewaukee and those of you online, wherever you might be. We're just delighted to have you with us. Uh, this is week number two in the series that we call Me and My Big Mouth. All of us, we say, we send, we, we text a lot, a lot of words. Every day we write the equivalent of a 60-page book. But what we do is we tend to underestimate the, the power of those words. And so here's a verse that's really driving uh, this series is from Proverbs chapter 18. Solomon says that the tongue has the power of life and death. Solomon says our words have the power to give life or, or take it. And uh, here's what that means. Everybody in this room, you're a powerful person because of your words. Your words have the power to uh, guide and, and, and direct and determine the quality of your life. And your words have the power to uh, direct and give determine the quality of the lives of other, other people uh, around you. So that's why we're taking a few weeks and uh, talking about being real intentional about our words. Now, today we're going to talk about uh, criticism. And criticism is different than the other topics in this series. Last week we talked about gossip, and gossip's always wrong. The Bible always forbids gossip. Next week we're going to talk about complaining. And same thing, the Bible always tells us to avoid complaining. But uh, criticism is different. Sometimes criticism is very uh, good for us. For example, every Wednesday we've got a team that reads the, the message, the talk that we uh, will give that uh, weekend. And so we meet and uh, give constructive criticism to me or whoever speaks on that weekend. And uh, so they'll read my talk and they'll say, Ben, I know you really like that joke, but, uh, you know, it, it's got to go. It's not funny. Or they'll say, you know, we know you think that uh, Chicago Bear joke is uh, really funny, but not a good year uh, for those kind of jokes. And, uh, you know, maybe next year. Try it then. And uh, sometimes people will give me feedback on my uh, delivery. You know, when you speak, sometimes you don't realize what you're doing, you know, with your hands or with your head. And uh, sometimes I'll look, you know, one way uh, more than I look uh, the other way. Somebody will come up to me and they'll say, you know, Ben, it looks like you're holding a box. On, on stage, and uh, you can just put that box down. You know, you can let that box go. And uh, I always appreciate uh, constructive criticism. It's very valuable and uh, very helpful for me. A good coach will do this. A good coach will pull us aside and say, here's how you can get better. Here's what you can do to improve. Scripture talks about this in Proverbs 15. It says, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Here's another translation of that same verse. If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. So open yourself up to it and listen to it. Never ignore the value of constructive criticism. But today is not about constructive criticism. No, no, no. Today is about negative criticism, destructive criticism. And by negative criticism, I mean criticism that seems nitpicky, unkind, uninformed, maybe even cruel. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of you have received some negative criticism in the last 30 days. My guess is that many of us have, and we've got Thanksgiving next week, Christmas right around the corner. We're going to spend more time with, with friends and family and, and customers and coworkers, and it will probably uh, just increase even more. I've worked as a pastor for uh, many years, and receiving criticism is just part of it. And uh, I'm grateful, though, as I thought about it this week. I, I, I don't really feel like I receive a lot. I've received a lot of criticism. Maybe not as much as you would expect. Now, I'm not asking or hoping for more, okay? I'm good with it. 
But I'm glad that, uh, you know, this week it took me some time to think of an example of criticism that I could share with you, a personal example. But I did think of one. And I ran it past my wife, and she said, oh, yeah, I remember that one, too. This goes back many years ago. We're getting ready to move from Kentucky up to the Milwaukee area to plant the new church. And so we made a couple trips to, to make some plants. And on one of those trips, I contacted a pastor in the Milwaukee uh, area, a very successful pastor, and he agreed to have lunch with me. And I was really excited about this. I admired him, and I thought, you know, he can really, he can really help me understand ministering in Wisconsin and I'd really love to get his thoughts, get his input on choosing the right location for the new church because I was really struggling with that decision. And so we, we got together with, or for lunch with him, and he asked a few questions, but he really spent the rest of the time criticizing our plan. He said, uh, you know, it's, it's too risky, it won't work, you shouldn't do it. I remember his exact words. He said, your plan, Ben, is unreasonable. It is unacceptable. I would recommend uh, you not do it. You're going about it the totally wrong way. I was stunned. I mean, I thought I had thick skin. His criticism got to me. It got to Marnie. We walked away feeling discouraged and frightened and unsure. Are we making a really big mistake? Is he right? And you know what? That's the problem with criticism. It magnifies our, our, our fears. It extinguishes enthusiasm and excitement. It can crush your spirit and pierce your heart. And I would imagine, you know, everybody here in the room at some point, you've received some, some negative criticism that seemed nitpicky, unkind, uninformed, even cruel. Maybe you have a family member. Maybe you have family member, members who say, I can't believe how you raise your kids. I can't believe how you spend your money. Maybe you've got a spouse who just nitpicks everything. I can't believe how lazy you are. Sometimes Christian people will criticize each other. I can't believe you read that version of the Bible. I can't believe that you go to that church. And uh, some, of, some of us are probably thinking, I'm so glad we're, you know, we're talking about this today because my spouse you know, really needs to hear this uh, message. I can't wait to go online and uh, you know, send that link, send the link. To, to my boss or to my friends because, because of the way that they criticize me. And while that may be true, maybe the pain of criticism is real in your life, uh, remember the name of this series is Me and My Big Mouth. It's, it's not, you know, my husband and his big mouth or my wife and her big mouth or my boyfriend and his uh, big mouth. Uh, it's me and my big mouth. In fact, would you say this out loud with me right now with, with enthusiasm on the count of three? One, two, three. Me and my big mouth. That's very good. It's really important because we oftentimes we don't recognize how we criticize others because we have a tendency to focus on what other people do and we feel justified uh, criticizing them. We'll say, you know what, if they just weren't so weird, if they just didn't have such extreme political views, if they didn't uh, spend their money so unwisely and go so deeply into debt, you know, then I wouldn't, then we wouldn't criticize them. We focus on what other people do and we feel justified criticizing others the same way that others criticize us. And so I want to look at a scripture that I think is, is very insightful. It's a popular scripture, but oftentimes we don't read the verse right after. It's written by the Apostle Paul. Paul planted this church in the city of Galatia, 
And then he wrote this letter to these first followers of Jesus in the church. And here's what Paul said to them. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbors as yourself. Notice this. The entire law, all of God's ways. That's a really big statement. is fulfilled in this single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and I would bet everybody in the room, doesn't matter if, you know, if, you're, if you're new, uh, you, might, you might not even be sure you know, what you believe. You would probably agree, this is a great teaching right here. I can get on board. I can get behind this, this command to love your neighbor as yourself. But very often we don't read what Paul says next. Take a look at this next verse. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul says, love one another, but he goes on to say, watch out, be careful. If you bite and devour each other, if you constantly use critical words, harsh words, unkind words, you're going to destroy one another. And I wonder, what if some of us are actually doing this right now? You know, what if, what if some of us, uh, because of our, our, our critical words, we're destroying the potential intimacy that we could be experiencing in our marriage right now? What if some of us, what if, what if uh, the critical, our critical words are creating a wall between us and our children? Or what if, for some of us, the critical comments that we post online are keeping other people away from us in real life? What if, for some of you, your critical words keep you from sharing the message of the good news about Jesus because other people can't get over how critical you are about anything and everything. Paul says, love one another, but you got to be really careful about the words that you use. And so to help us do what Paul says, I want to go back about another thousand years to a scripture Solomon wrote, King Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a great book for any of us to read. Even if you're new to the scriptures, be a great book to read. Proverbs means wise sayings. I want to show you what's called a contrasting proverb, which means Paul or Solomon makes two very different uh, statements about one subject in one verse. Here's how he begins Proverbs chapter 12. He says, some people make cutting Remarks. Paul calls it biting and devouring each other. Solomon calls it cutting remarks, but they're both talking about the same thing. They're talking about criticism. Criticism cuts other people. And if you want to see how criticism cuts other people, here's what you want to do. You want to go online, and you want to go to a social media post, and you want to click on the comments. And then scroll down, and you'll see cutting remark after cutting remark after cutting remark about different news stories, about different political leaders, about different athletes, and even about our friends and our, our, our families. But, you know, if we're honest, you know, we don't have to look out, out there, okay? It's easy for all of us to cut others with criticism. It's easy to pick apart another person. And the reason is because we have a sin nature and we tend to focus more on what's, what's wrong than we do what's uh, right. For example, it's easy to point out the flaws, and to develop a pattern of fault-finding with, with your spouse in, in a marriage. You know, I, I don't like the way that you chew food. I don't like the way that you laugh. I don't like the way that you snore. I don't like the way that you breathe. So stop breathing, please. You know, I don't like the way you treat my parents. I don't like the way that you dress. Why can't you be more outgoing? Why can't you get a promotion? You can pick apart a good person even before that person has, has gotten to lunch 
for that day. But marriage expert Norman Wright points out that fault-finding cuts our spouse. He says, here's what we're saying to our spouse when we fault-find. We're, we're, we're saying, I don't accept you the way that you are. You don't measure up. And that hurts our spouse. And it can be contagious. It can lead your spouse to start finding fault in you. And fault-finding will not change the heart of your spouse. You know, we don't criticize our way into a better marriage. We don't criticize our children into better behavior. Criticism cuts, cuts people down. It doesn't love them up. And so you might wonder, if criticism just, you know, cuts down other people and makes everything worse, then, then why do we do it? Well, several reasons. Here's one reason, and that is because of pride. We think, I know what's best, and since I know what's best, okay, I'm just going to tell you. And uh, I'm going to point out your flaws for you, but we're not helping them. We're cutting them with our criticism. That's why the religious leaders back in Jesus' day, they were called Pharisees, had such a critical spirit. They went around pointing out the flaws of every person because of their pride, because they thought they were better and smarter than everybody else. And you know what? That's why Jesus confronted the Pharisees more than anybody else, because, uh, because of the way they criticized they cut other people with their criticism. Another reason why we criticize is because of insecurity. Criti criticism can be like a mirror that reveals our own insecurities and struggles. Uh, because maybe you feel you know, insecure or inadequate as a parent, and so you go and criticize other parents and their parenting style, and it makes you feel a little bit better about your parenting. Or... Maybe you feel insecure about your job, so you go criticize your coworkers, and it makes you feel better, a little better about uh, your job. And then another reason we criticize is because we don't understand. We, we criticize from a distance something that we know little or nothing about. And this was me. I did this before I had kids. I'd be in a grocery store, and I would see a parent with a toddler, and the toddler would throw a, a tantrum, and I would think, why can't they control their kid? I would never allow my kid, my toddler, uh, to do that. But then came the day I had my own toddler in the uh, grocery store. And that was also the day that I stopped judging <clears throat> other people. And I'm like, I know this is bad parenting, but, but I give up. I will buy you the candy. I will buy you a pony. I will buy you a Porsche if you just stop crying and, and, and screaming. Isn't it ironic how we criticize others because we think it's going to make, it's going to make me look smarter, it's going to make me look uh, better, it's going to show how good I am, but instead it makes you look insecure and mean-spirited. Ask yourself, have you ever met a person, you ever met a critical person that you wanted to be like? Probably not, but when we criticize others, you know what we do? We act like the person that we don't want to be around. But here's the good news, okay? There's a, there's a, there's a second part to this proverb. Remember, it's a, it's a contrasting uh, proverb. And so Solomon introduces us to another group of people. He says that some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Solomon mentions a group of people known as the wise. And wise doesn't just mean smart. It's much more. Uh, if you're smart, you've got a good understanding of a subject. If you're wise you make a good decision based off that understanding. If you're smart, you understand words have power. Words can cut other people. If you're wise, you make a good decision based off that understanding. And so here's the principle from this proverb. Criticism cuts 
but the words of the wise bring healing. You know, after that lunch where that other pastor criticized our, our, our plan, I just felt discouraged and alone and worried. We went ahead. We moved up here to the Milwaukee area. We got a, an apartment temporarily because I did not know. I still had not decided where we would plant the new church. And so I went to this conference, church planning conference in Cincinnati, and I was just really down. I was feeling desperate. Finally, I just walked up to a guy. I barely knew him. His name was Bob. Saw him in the hallway. And I knew he had a lot of experience from planting churches in the Chicago area. And I just engaged a conversation with him and poured out my heart. And he said, Ben, do you want me to come up and spend a day with you in Milwaukee? I'm like, that would be awesome. I remember he got up at like 5 a.m. to beat the Chicago traffic. And we spent the whole day together. I showed him the two different areas that I was considering. I was actually leaning the other way. And at dinner that night, I took him to dinner, and, and he said, uh, both, Ben, both locations are good, but Waukesha is a great location. Waukesha would be a great place to start the new church. And so I just went, I just went with his recommendation. He wrote up a report for me. I went with his recommendation. And his words, God used his words to guide our new church to a strong start. And just like Solomon said, his words brought encouragement and life and healing to Marnie and I. And looking back, I didn't really give much more thought to the criticism from that other pastor. Sometimes it's best to dismiss some criticism as invalid because criticism cuts, but the words of the wise bring healing. As we read about the life of Jesus and as we go through the Gospels that are really biographies about the life of, of Jesus, we find Jesus going around speaking words of life to person after person. My favorite, one of my favorite examples is found in John chapter 8, where the Pharisees, they set up this woman, and she gets caught in the act of adultery. And then they take her, they drag her to Jesus. Jesus is, is teaching a group of people, a crowd of people, uh, by the temple. And the Pharisees begin to point out how she has fallen short of God's way. And look at what they say to, to Jesus. They say, uh, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses, God's law, says to stone her. That means throw rocks at her until she dies. What do you say? And talk about words that cut. You know, they bring her up, you know, in front of everybody else. They accuse her. They said we should kill her. And she feels alone and guilty and ashamed and afraid for her life. And, and they said, Jesus, we, we have to kill her according to God's law. What do you say? And I love Jesus' response. Jesus says, um, I'm going to remind you that uh, all of you have sinned, and so it's okay for you to do this, but let the person who has not sinned throw the first stone. And the only person that could have done that would have been Jesus. But when Jesus reminded them that they all fall short of God's way, each one of them walked away one by one. And then Jesus turns to her, and he used words to bring healing to her. It says, Jesus stood up again and, and said to the woman, where your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, the example of Jesus here, it doesn't mean that, you know, we should avoid uh, tough and truthful conversations. I mean, Jesus has a, a very truthful conversation with her. He has a conversation with her about her sin and her lifestyle. And he says to her, I, I want you to leave that 
behind. But the reason his words bring healing is because he speaks the words in a way that expresses his love for her. So we have a choice. Everybody has a choice. We can use words uh, that cut. We can use words that, that, that are critical and cut others like the Pharisees. Or we can use words that bring healing like Jesus did. And I know many of us would say, yeah, I want to use my words to bring healing to others just like Jesus. And that's good. But listen, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, it's really not a choice. It's what we're called to do. We're called to use words that bring healing. Healing, But if you're like me, you would say, yeah, but I struggle with criticism. I naturally lean toward cutting others with my words. And I'm not sure how to make the shift from criticizing others to using words that bring healing. And so let me give you a few challenges. Here's the first challenge. Use this filter and ask yourself this question. Is what I'm about to say going to cut or heal before you text anything or say anything or post anything or send anything just stop and ask yourself this question is what i'm about to say going to cut or heal and notice the question is not is what i'm about to say right because we can say right things we can say true things in a way that criticizes and cuts other people and again we don't want to shy away from tough and true conversations but what we have to do is look at our motivation behind those conversations. And if our motivation is anything other than love for that person, our words are going to cut and hurt. And if it's going to cut the other person, don't say it, don't send it, don't post it, don't even email it. Because as followers of Jesus, we're called to use words that bring life and healing. But if our words will bring healing to others, say them. Because any helpful words that are not said are not helpful at all. And those words might bring healing to the other person and encourage them to keep going. So let me ask you a real personal question. When was the last time that you pulled aside a, a family member or a coworker and said, hey, hey, I just need to apologize for those words that I said back there? Students, young adults, when's the last time you pulled aside a sibling or a parent and you said, oh, I should not have behaved that way. I shouldn't have said those words to you. Will you forgive me? Parents, when's the last time you pulled aside a child, uh, you, you pulled aside your son or your daughter and you said, that's not how I want to speak to you. That's not the kind of mom. That's not the kind of dad that, that I want to be. Would you forgive me for using those words? If, if you can't remember uh, the last time you apologized, or it's been months, or it's been years, then maybe that indicates you need to put more focus on this uh, area. You probably need to filter your words more closely by asking, is what I'm about to say going to cut, or is it going to heal? I came across a story about this. It's about a, a, a dad who began to ask this question and began to make this shift. This dad had some challenges in his relationship with his teenage son. He said the relationship had gotten rocky and that there was a lot of arguing and fighting between them in their home. And so he examined the way that he raised his kids. And he said the way that he raised his kids was very similar to the way that his parents raised him. And so he was very critical of the way that his kids did things. And so he criticized every little thing, every unmade bed, every bad grade. He was very critical of his son and his other kids. And so one day he talked to his friend about it. And his friend made a suggestion that he try something different 
And so one night he did. He invited his, his teenage son to come into the living room, and he said, hey, I know I've been telling you about every wrong thing you've been doing, but I haven't told you about the right things that I've caught you uh, doing. And, and I want you to know I've actually been uh, making a list. I've, I've got a list of all the right things that I've seen you do. And I want to just read that list to you uh, right now. And so the dad just started reading this list to his son. And he started saying, I love the way that you respect your mom. I love the way that you look out for your friends. I love the way that you help out with your siblings. And at the end, he put it down. And he said, I want you to know I feel so proud to have you as my son. And uh, he looked at his son, who doesn't usually get emotional, and he said his son had tears streaming down his cheek, and he was beginning to cry. And the dad said at that moment, he began to make a shift in that relationship, and the fights uh, began to lessen, and the relationship uh, became much healthier. And it started with this dad asking, you know what, I'm not going to use words to cut and hurt others. I'm going to use words to bring healing and health to the relationship. Ask yourself, is what I'm about to say, is it going to cut or is it going to heal? That's the first challenge. All right, here's the next uh, challenge, and that is to fill your heart. This is really important because I think for many of us, we have a hard time speaking words of praise, words of encouragement. We find it easier to speak critical words than encouraging words. We just gravitate that way. And if we find it difficult to speak words of healing, we need to remember something that Jesus said. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we need to take a look at our heart because our heart is deeply connected to our, our, our mouth. And we'll find that a critical heart speaks critical words. A bitter heart speaks, produces sharp words. A self-righteous heart produces judgmental words. But a grateful heart speaks gracious words. A faithful heart speaks true words. A peaceful heart speaks gentle words. And so we have to make sure that we fill our hearts in the right way so that words of healing flow out of our heart through our mouths to other people. One of the ways that we can fill our hearts, I think, is by reading and reflecting on God's word. And reading and reflecting on God's promises. That helps fill our hearts. Here's another way. Just ask God. Pray to God and say, God, would you fill my heart with more of the fruit of your spirit? Would you fill my heart with more of your love and grace and peace? And what you'll discover is the more that you align your heart with God's heart, the closer you get to God, the less you will feel the need to criticize and cut other people. And the more close you get to God, the more natural it would be for you to speak words that bring life and healing and encouragement to other people. It'll just flow out of your heart. All right, one more uh, challenge for us, and that is to embrace your true identity. Maybe some of us here today, maybe, maybe you need to hear this. Maybe the reason you use words that cut others is because somebody cut you deeply with words. And so you carry a wound. You maybe carry a grudge. There's an old saying that hurt people hurt other people. And that is true. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of you were abused. Maybe some of you were bullied. 
or made fun of. Maybe some, maybe some of you were uh, attacked or criticized sharply with words, and those words still haunt you. You remember them, they still haunt you to this day, and you feel in, insecure. But you got to remember something. You are not who other people say that you are. You are not uh, what some label says about you. Maybe somebody uh, gave you. That's not who you are. Here's who you are. You are who God says you are. And God says, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're my precious child. You're so valuable. I sent my son, my one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross to forgive your sins so that I can have a personal relationship with you now and forever. And when you embrace your true identity, here's what happens. Jesus begins to heal those cuts and those wounds, and it will enable you to speak words of healing to other people. I think this is why Jesus tells everyone who comes to faith in him to take the step of baptism. Baptism makes a powerful statement about your identity. In baptism, you're saying, I identify myself with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going down into that water, an old person, and I'm coming up out of that water, a brand new person in Jesus. Baptism is just a beautiful picture of your true identity in Jesus. And this is one of the reasons why we do believer baptism. We wait until someone is old enough to make their own choice because it helps you embrace your true identity. And if you've never been baptized, we've got a great opportunity coming up for you. In three weeks, we're going to do baptisms in our uh, services at both campuses. And it's real easy. We've got everything that you need. Uh, we just need you to fill out the card. It's in the seat back in front of you. And you can drop that off at the uh, Connect Wall or at the uh, Welcome Center. If you've got questions about baptism, stop at the Connect Wall, and we would love to, to talk to you and help you. Maybe baptism is your next step. I'm telling you, embracing your true identity in Jesus, it helps you. It helps you go from words that cut to speaking words that heal. Let me pray for us. God, I confess that uh, when it comes to this uh, subject of, of criticizing, that uh, I, I've been guilty of this too often. I use my words to, to criticize and cut others and to hurt them. And God, I'm sorry. And we're sorry for doing this. God, right now we just commit to giving life to those around us with the words that we say. God, would you give us wisdom and insight to ask this question before we ever say anything or, or send anything or post anything? Is what, is what I'm about to say, is it going to cut or heal? Is it going to give life or is it going to take life? And I, I pray that we, would be, that we would make a wise decision to give life to those around us. And thank you for the example of Jesus who lived, lived this out among us and set a great example for us. But he also did so much more. He made it possible for us to embrace a new heart and a new identity and a new relationship with you. God, we are just so grateful to him for doing these things. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.